Welcome to the Recession Proof Real Estate Investing Podcast. Join your host, Sam Newell, as he educates you on how to make profitable, low-risk real estate investments that will cash flow through any economy. Hear interviews with the top real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the country to find out what they've learned and implemented since the 2008 recession. With over 10 years in real estate investing, it has become Sam's goal to help others invest for double-digit returns, but to also stay safe and not get caught in the next downturn. Tune in and become recession-proof. So we're here talking about real estate. We're recording an episode for my podcast. Thank you for, for making the time for me today. The projects you toured today, I'm actually investing in, in as well. So I'm really excited to talk about those. I'm excited to hear about how you got your start in real estate investing because, um, I mean, you've already got a great start there. So the thing I like to start with, though, is tell me about you, what you're doing, and I've want to hear about your launch. You're getting ready to launch a website. I don't want to spoil it, but mm -hmm. go ahead and tell us what you're doing. Yeah. So um, I've, I've been a passive investor in a number of commercial real estate opportunities for, for a number of years now. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I've, I've been doing that. And as I've been doing that, I've gotten more and more involved and more and more interested in learning about commercial real estate and all the benefits that, you know, being a passive investor has, has brought you know, there's, you know, the ability to have all this additional free time and not have to worry about your, your investments being subjected to the volatility of, of, of Wall Street and right. what happens in the general market, you know, and so there's that, there's the tax benefits, you know, there's the opportunity to invest in multifamily, for example, and, you know, as a way of giving back, you know, when you okay. invest in multifamily projects, you know, you're you're investing in opportunities that provide safe, clean, functioning, you know, places for people to live and for families to live. Right. Right. And uh, when you look at the demographics, when you look at all the things going on in terms of uh, stagnant wage growth and a lot of younger people with student loan debt, you know, it's becoming more and more of a challenge for people uh, to basically, you know, share the American dream of owning a home. Right. But at the same time, they they want to have a clean and functioning place to live for themselves and for them for their families. Right. And so, when you invest in these types of opportunities, you're facilitating that. You're right. allowing that to happen. And so, you're to me, it's not just about the returns; it's also about providing and facilitating these types of things. Because, and then when you look at not just millennials, but also baby boomers, and you look at the percentage of them and how how many of them are actually either later on in their lives downsizing or they need to tap into the equity of their homes in order to, you know, live the retirement life that they want. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a really interesting transitional shift that's taken place, right? Where, yeah, absolutely. More, and more people are becoming renters. Yep. I think the average homeowner or home first time home buyer is waiting two and a half more years now to buy a home. Yeah. And there's an affordability crisis for sure. Yeah. We are becoming a, a nation of renters. So that's interesting. And and I love what you say about giving back because there's so many, I mean, just my past clients that are slumlords and so many investors out there that don't care. Yeah. And then there's people like us who actually want to provide a nice, clean, you know, great place to live. And I just interviewed a guy earlier on the podcast that bought a hotel in Vegas. He had this problem of homeless people sitting outside his hotel. He was right on Fremont Street. If you've been to Vegas, you know where Fremont Street is. Yeah. 
So he actually gave them free housing in exchange for work. They're helping remodel units. So he got the homeless people off the street. He's giving back, and he provides three meals a day for them. He's still making great money on the hotel. And there's plenty of ways to give back on owning um, hotels, apartment complexes, assisted livings. Mm -hmm. So tell me about what you're excited about right now. I know you toured an assisted living today, an apartment project. What are you excited about right now? Um, you know, I've, I've invested in a number of, like I said, I've invested in a number of commercial real estate opportunities and, you know, that includes multifamily and also includes assisted living as well too, or, or senior living facilities. And it's interesting, like when you invest in these opportunities and, you know, when you look at the, the, the bigger picture of what's going on in, in this nation and when you, when you look at the fact that these types of assets and these, these things are going to become more and more in demand and, um, a lot of people that I know in California, they have a hard time looking beyond California mm-hmm. when it comes to. So you, you have, of course, you know, the vast majority of people that still believe that, you know, in order to gain financial freedom, or at least their idea of financial freedom, they need to invest in the stock market. Yeah. And they, they fail to understand, you know, that the returns that you get by investing in uh, private commercial real estate like, you know, you and I have done. And at the same time, also the tax benefits and all the other things that come with that. But there are people that I know that, you know, have invested in syndicated deals, but they want to only invest in syndicated deals in California, mm-hmm. which basically the only things that really pencil out right now are, you know, development projects. Right, right. And, you know, there, there's risk in that, right? There's development mm-hmm. risk that comes with that. And so, but, you know, there are many opportunities outside of California because when you look at what's going on in places like California, when you look at it's very anti-business, yep. you know, there's not much job growth. Uh, housing is very unaffordable, uh, traffic and, and politics and other factors that come into play. Landlord laws. Yes. You know, California and a number of other states are not very landlord friendly. Why would you want to own multifamily or why would you want to own an apartment complex in California? I mean, if you are renting to someone who knows how to play the system and they have kids, especially, I mean, it could be as much as 12 months or more to, you know, to actually yeah. get someone evicted. Yep. And at the same, and you know, on one hand, you don't want to evict someone, but at the same time, if, if someone is living and occupying space, they need to do whatever they possibly can to pay. You know, yep. that's, that's, that's responsibility, right? Absolutely. responsible. And so, but as far as like people that I know that, that have invested in syndicated deals, they, they, they tend not to look outside of California. Interesting. And the ones that do, they're probably fixated on a few specific markets. Uh-huh. And those markets are getting pretty heated as well, right? There's a lot of money chasing those assets. Right. Arizona is one that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Dallas. <laughs> yes, especially Dallas. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Dallas, Fort Worth. I mean, that's, you know, two separate cities that have just become one big glob now. You know, right. just one big, you know, metro. And so, uh, but there's other markets out there. And, mm-hmm. you know, you have to have an understanding of the fact that, you know, you've got different markets. You've got, you know, cyclical, you've got hybrid You've got linear markets, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, for a lot of investors, you know, they somehow look at they look they look down at the linear markets, right? And, sure. and say, hey, you know, like what what those returns don't look very favorable. Yeah, but they're they're <clears throat> not really looking at the bigger picture, right? You know, they're not looking at you know the tax benefits, and they're not looking at the other things, um, and they're not looking at the fact that people are leaving California and going to these linear markets. Yeah, and. When you have multiple years of capital flowing into a market, well, then it, it's not going to continue to stay linear. Right. 
Absolutely. Right? And that's what people need to yeah. understand. They need yeah. to look at when, uh, when people are leaving California, where are they going? Right. What states are they going to? You know, they're going to states that are business friendly. They're going to states where there's job growth. And when there's job growth, there's going to be population growth. And, you know, it's funny because like um, earlier this year, uh, I can't remember, I read something or it was a, or it was a YouTube clip that I watched and uh, it was at some type of business event. And I think it was, if I remember, it was the governor of Arizona who was giving a speech to these, uh, uh, to, these uh, uh, to, this, to the attendees there at the conference. And the first thing he did was thank the governor of California because they wouldn't <laughs> be experiencing, you know, the growth that yeah. they had there if it weren't for the policies in California that we Absolutely. had for years. And so at some point, you know, People are going somewhere. So when they go somewhere, that's going to create a need for housing. It's going to create a need for, you know, what we could call shelter, I guess, on a basic level. Yeah. And so they deserve to have safe, clean, and functional homes to live in. Right. And, uh, and combined with the other things that we spoke about a few minutes ago, you know, it, even in some of these linear markets, it's, it's a challenge for some people to still uh, participate in home ownership. Right. So what are they going to do? Well, they're going to, you know, more than likely rent a home where they're going to rent perhaps, you know, an apartment. Absolutely. So, um, well, well, I like what you said there. Um, Utah, I mean, as far as a real estate investor goes, we love the California governor. I mean, he just instituted <laughs> rent control, even though it got voted down a year ago yeah. and the landlord laws. And, and so I'm this house that I just bought. It's one, two miles from the Silicon slopes where Adobe, Amazon, eBay, Oracle, Workfront, Vivint. So, I mean, all these companies have now set up headquarters or at least offices and brought in thousands and thousands of jobs. I was actually talking with one of the um, higher-ups at Adobe, and they said, you know, we love Utah because we can pay our people less, their standard of living is higher, mm -hmm. and there, there's lower taxes. Utah wants us to come do business there, so they yeah. love it. Also, yeah, and, I've, and I've seen these areas that you're yeah. mentioning, and this is the first time that I've seen them, you know, today. And I just was, I was impressed. Yeah. I, I you know, I, I heard you and I've heard others mention the Silicon Slopes area. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, that's why I made a trip out here to actually see it for myself. And this is actually much better. This is actually much bigger than what I even expected it to be. Oh, cool. You know, uh, driving along the freeway and, you know, seeing, you know, the tech companies you know, their, their names are on the side of the buildings yeah. and you can see, and, and the buildings, the office buildings are really modern, beautiful mm -hmm. looking. And, uh, the people that were generous enough to take me around today, they constantly were saying, yeah, that's, that's, that's only a year old. That's only two years old. Right. And all these buildings that have popped up in a short amount of time. Right. And there's, there's so much growth in this area, but, and, and I like the Utah area and also, you know, some other places as well too. Like mm -hmm. we talked about like, you know, like Idaho. For Boise. Example. Boise. Yeah. I love, I love yeah. the Boise area. Well, that, that has a huge flood of Californians in right now. It's, yeah. it's crazy. Three, less than 3% vacancy right now. Wow. You can't buy an asset, a, a multifamily asset for a decent price because, it, I mean, California investors are flooding that market. So and they're driving up the prices there, right? Driving up the prices. And there's a huge housing shortage. Utah right now is almost a 50,000 household shortage for housing. Wow. And that's a lot of that's driven from Amazon or uh, Adobe adding 1,500 employees. Now they're adding another 1,500 employees. Workfront added 4,000 employees. Wow. All these people need places to live. And, and we had this huge, huge, you know, this um, lack of inventory for so long. 
we haven't been able to even catch up. Now you got all these jobs from California in here, and there's no way we can keep up. Boise is experiencing the same thing. Yeah. And, you know, I'm really excited. You met with Matt um, with Zenith Group, and, and I, you know, he did he, he developed Traverse Mountain, yeah. which is the Silicon Slopes. Yeah, I heard all the stories um, today. It was remarkable to yeah. hear from the guy that says, yeah, I was responsible for that roundabout and for this and for that. And it's, it's amazing to see that. Yeah. And this area still has a lot more potential. But at the same time, it's also limiting. Mm-hmm. You've got you've got two mountain ranges, right? Right. Only so and two lakes. <laughs> yeah, and there's only so much you can do, even in right. this valley here. Yep. But um, yeah, and I've, I've mentioned you know uh, this to some of the people that I know in California, and they're like Utah, and just kind of like shake their heads, like, ah, yeah. why would you want to invest there? But again, you know, people have to look beyond their backyard or you know, they do. their own neighborhood or their own state, mm-hmm. um, and they have to see the bigger picture. And again, the bigger picture means you have to understand where people are going and what, what's, what's going on, on the, with demographics and how all of this comes together. Because, and, and that's one of the reasons why it's difficult for people to maybe to invest in real estate because real estate is an illiquid asset. It's, a, it's illiquid, right? Yeah. It's in what you get, the one drawback that I could probably, that I've only ever been able to think of is the illiquid, is a liquidity factor, right? right. You know, yeah, you, you can invest in stocks and you can press a button and you can automatically exit out of some pretty quickly, but when you invest in real estate, you're investing for the long haul. You're investing right. for many years at a time. And when you're investing for years at a time, you have to do your homework and you have to understand right. what you're buying. Because once you buy or once you invest, you have to be prepared to hold on to it for years. Yeah. You know? Well, and, and that's I, I love that you say that because we're analyzing properties all over the United States right now. And, and one of the first things we look at is jobs. Mm-hmm. What is the job? Is it a one horse town? We don't like that. Once we get past the demographics and the job market, we start looking at the asset and we say, okay, can this deal support itself? Are we going to have to throw money into it during a downturn? That's how people got caught. Utah did fantastic during the downturn. What's interesting, Boise did not. They were not as diverse as they are now. Now they have a lot of tech companies there. Portland, Seattle, and, and San Jose have, you know, had a lot of spillover into Boise, but they didn't 10 years ago. And so they actually got hurt. You know, they had, they had uh, some issues. But what we look at now is if, if the property drops, if the gross income drops by 20%, and it, it never got that bad during the downturn, average was 12 to 14% drops, or not average, the worst was 12 to 14% drops for multifamily assets. Mm-hmm. So if I'm buying in Boise right now at this high, high, high price, well, if my income drops by 20%, can it still pay for itself? Yeah. Or am I going to be having to feed this beast for the next three to five years until income comes back up? Um, so, yeah, when, when we're talking real estate, it's a tangible asset. You're not going to lose it unless you underwrote it a little bit too aggressively. And so yeah. we're extremely conservative. So the, the property in Tooele that you looked at, we're really excited about because we can take down that project and we can be very, very conservative. And it's growing. There's the inland port. Did they talk to you about the inland port going yeah. in? yeah. The prisons being relocated out by the Salt Lake. So that brings a lot of jobs to that end of the valley, as well as Amazon 200,000 square foot distribution center, or maybe bigger. I can't remember. It's, it's massive. Yeah. And then the $1 billion airport expansion. So we have all this growth, the North Salt Lake uh, Valley, and Twill is set perfect, just perfectly to uh, house those people. Yeah. So I'm excited. So we're very conservative. But um as far as the assisted living go, I mean, tell me what you like about assisted livings. 
Well, you know, um, I've invested in a couple of assisted living projects, and you know, when you look at the when you look at assisted living, you know, the there's been a shift culturally. You know, a lot of these people, as they've gotten older, you know, perhaps in previous generations, you know, they would have been taken care of, you know, within the home mm-hmm. by you know the children or the children and maybe the grandchildren, mm-hmm. and you know that in combination with um, uh, a lot of people, as you're getting older, they have, you know, needs that maybe they didn't have before, mm-hmm. you know, when you look at Alzheimer's dementia and so forth, you know, the level of care that's needed sometimes cannot be provided for by family members. Right. And so people live longer now too. <laughs> yeah. People live longer. And so, you know, when you, when you look at that, the fact that these people need to go somewhere, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they need a home. Um, in some cases, they need a home and they also need care, right? They need to be taken care of. And so starting out, you know, in, in an independent living and transitioning to assisted living and, you know, sometimes people even need, you know, higher end care like memory care, for yeah. example, yeah. you know, which is very labor intensive. You know, some of these people, you know, they can't remember if they ate or took any medication. Yeah. They, they have trouble doing basic tasks and right. so they need constant, you know, round the clock care. So that type of asset class or that type of investment, you know, um, especially with, you know, the statistics show about 10,000 people a day are retiring and have been for a number of years. And so as these people, you know, go into retirement or reach retirement um, and then they need to have some place to go uh, in some cases, you know, maybe they may go into an independent living facility at a necessity. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, we mentioned before about, you know, maybe they uh, they want to retire you know, maybe physically they can no longer go into work, mm-hmm. um, but they need to go, they want to retire or maybe they don't longer want to work at whatever it was they were doing before. And so then at that point, you know, they sell their home or they take a reverse mortgage if they can. Right. But if they sell their home and they take the equity out, you know, that equity becomes the basis by which they then go and rent. Yep. And, you know, some of them, you know, go and rent and live in a independent living facility or a facility like that. That's, that's, combined with an assisted living mm-hmm. or that offers other levels of care as well um, because they like to be with people their own age. Yeah. You know, um, they like the activities, you know, a lot of these places, if they're set up correctly, they have group activities. And so they're there with people, you know, during the day who want to participate in the same activities, you know, the facility went and saw uh, today, you know, um, very festive environment, yeah. very upbeat you know, they have a big um, activity room. Yeah, and, they've got a big yeah. activity room. So, and these things have have shown to actually be very helpful in terms right. of longevity, right? right? Because they're interacting with others, they're mm-hmm. using, utilizing their mind. They're just not sitting at home, uh, yep. withering away. You know, studies have always shown that utilizing your mind and staying engaged, you know, actually has a lot of health benefits. Yeah. So they're getting that in these types of facilities. Right. So um, that's one of the things that's among several reasons why I like, you know, these particular types of investments. And, you know, again, it's, 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 it, there's a need out there. There's right. Out there. So seems to be like an underlying tone. You like to provide a high quality service in whatever you're investing in. If it's multifamily, you don't want to be a slumlord. You want to be the guy having the asset class or the multifamily property that provides a nice place to live. If you're investing in, in assisted living, you want it to be a place where, helps their longevity, helps their mental health, and, and is a nice solution to 
them needing a place to go other than a hospital. And that's what I really like about the two facilities that, that we uh, worked on together with mm-hmm. Zenith. The one up in Mill Creek, amazing, gorgeous facility. Yeah. I mean, next to a, a farm with horses and or right behind it and, and high-end finishes, just, just gorgeous, gorgeous and place. Beautiful views of the mountains. Beautiful views. Yeah. And then the Provo one is, is different. It's lower end. But both are needed. Both serve a, a, a demographic of people. But it's still really, really nice. It's 100% occupied for a reason yeah. because people love living there. They don't want to leave. I'm actually uh, selling one in a holiday right now for $9.6 million. I have it listed. And it's highest end of highest end. And there, there's people that want really, really high end as well. So what I've noticed with assisted living, it's all about who manages it. One can be super high end. One can be a lot more affordable. But guess what? As long as it's run well by the right people, they both are profitable for the investors and they both can provide a really, really nice solution to the people that need to live there. Uh, I think the the thing everyone thinks of is putting, they don't want to put their grandma or their mom in a home. They don't want to put them in a hospital situation, hospital scenario where they're in the bed by themselves. And so these smaller assisted livings that, that you and I are, are looking at and, and investing in, they're what, 30 to 90 beds? And, and when you get that level, I've noticed that you can get a lot more attention to, to the residents mm-hmm. and a lot more personal care. When you get to the three, four, 500 bed situation, not that those don't have their place, but it's a lot harder to have personal care and have the activities for each, each group and each individual. And, and that's what I really like about these smaller facilities as well. The one I'm selling is 34 Max 34 residents, 22 beds um, with a few double occupancy. And, and I think that's the perfect size, 30 to 50, maybe 90 max. And um, just really give them a, a nice level of care. But I want to talk about kind of you and your investing career. And I have this question that I ask all of my investors. And it's just something that I, I like personal growth. I like to help young hustlers, people working hard to get ahead. And so I want to know your opinion. Do you think it's more important to have the talent and just be good at what you do and naturally talented? Or do you think it's more about work ethic and doing the research and and putting in the time and the effort? Well, if I had to pick between the two, I would would always pick being a hard worker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everyone wants to have talent. And some people have, you know, are gifted, you know, in terms of being able to pick up certain things faster than others. Yep. But, you know, the working hard and having a good work ethic can make up for a lot. Absolutely. More, in fact, more than a lot. So if I, if I had to pick between the two, like I said, hard work. You know, I've seen people that I thought were just really smart people. You know, I've, I've got several degrees in engineering and I've, you know, in school. And some of these people are really smart academically. But, mm-hmm. you know, outside of academics, they, they had a hard time like, right. in the real world. Right. Um, and then there are people that, of course, academically weren't all that, but have succeeded and done really well in the real world. So it's, it's always kind of hard because there's, and there's, you know, I've, I've read about how there's different types of intelligences out there. You know? Sure. I don't know if that's what intelligence is, but yeah. uh, intelligence, you know, different forms of it, right? You know, there's, there's mental, there's emotional, there's, there's different types and, you know, and, but having the ability to, Work hard and to be persistent, especially persistent Mm -hmm. and to keep at it, I think is really important. 
it's really important. And I think as a real estate investor, that would be my one advice is work hard at understanding the asset class. My favorite asset class is multifamily and assisted living storage units. I'm going to know everything there is to know about that asset class. Absolutely everything. I think where people get into trouble in real estate investing is they have a bunch of money. Let's call that, that's their talent. They have a bunch of money to invest and they throw it at something without doing all the research. Where people like you and I, we're going to sit there and research. We're going to travel to the different locations. I I mean, I've been in Florida. I've been in New Mexico, Las Vegas, um, Boise, just in the last quarter looking at deals just like you. And I think a really, really good investor spends their free time and extra time really just understanding the market and doing the research, putting in the time, time and effort. And I think that's the key to understanding and and doing well in real estate. I've never made less than a 20% return on investment, but I've also been very, very careful about what I invest in and and very, very conservative and And anything with whom, whom, yeah, Yeah. that's huge. You got to choose your partners, right? You know, Uh, I had a partner that was going to join up with us um, at the end of last year and it wasn't right. And we, we had to kind of step aside and, and ask him to not be a partner anymore. And I uh, just separated from a, a partnership that was absolutely not the right thing. And I'm really excited about my partner, Lyndon Hansen. And he and I are buying, we just bought a hotel together today. And, nice. uh, or it closes, it closes officially Monday, but we signed yesterday and today. So nice. yeah, thanks. And then nice. Matt and thank you, Zenith Group. Yeah. You know, um, you, after doing as many deals as have I done, I, I can really feel where someone's honest, they want to do the right thing. And that's so much more important than making money, in my opinion, because we're going to figure out how to make money. But if it's hard to make money, I don't want to have to be dealing with someone that's dishonest or not doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I've invested or even come close to also investing with people that, you know, when you ask for information, when, you, when you're trying to dig into the details, you know, one of the surest signs is when either they don't give you information or it takes them forever to get it to you, or they just say, Oh, I don't know that those are, those are more often than the, the times that you don't invest and you don't yep. with people like that. And I've had some experiences, especially some recent ones too, Yeah, you know, where, you know, you, you ask certain questions and, you know, um, anytime you are investing or you're looking to invest and you're asking questions and if, Someone doesn't know. That's fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with not knowing. I mean, there's a certain level of expectation that there's some. If they're pitching threshold. you something they should know, yeah, right? <laughs> there's some threshold of yeah. information they should know. Yeah. But even if they don't know, you know, they should say, "Okay, I will find out and I will get that to you and to get it to you promptly." Right. And if you have to circle back and you need to repeatedly ask for, "Hey, do you remember I was asking you those questions? I'm still waiting for those responses." And, right. You know, when when you get the runaround, then you know. It's, it's just time to move on. Absolutely. And people that aren't transparent with documents, you know, if they're, if they're, if they have an opportunity and they're sharing it and, you know, they're putting on a Google drive or they're making it available to investors pretty readily, then, you know, there's, there's a lot of transparency there. Right. And those are the types of people that you, that you want to partner with and that you want to work with. And I've seen some that they are not even sophisticated enough to have something where, they make a documents available like that. And I've had people where I've asked for certain documents and, and they're like, well, why do you need that? Yeah. Well, and, and what I found is there's so much money available right now. Yeah. 
anybody can go out and find a deal and and make it look attractive. It's it's crazy how many deals are being purchased right now that I don't think are going to make money. But they're getting a million, two million, five million dollars from investors to go buy these deals and I don't think they're going to make any money. Yeah, I was talking uh, I had the conversation earlier today. It's, you know, when I look at some of these deals that have five to seven year horizons and you're looking at five to seven years and we talked earlier about you know real estate being an illiquid asset Mm -hmm. and when you're looking at a five to seven year horizon and when you look at really and then when you look at the concert when you look at how conservative or how non-conservative some of the assumptions are in terms of rent growth and you know uh you know where how expenses low expenses yeah yeah and so when you look at some of these when you look at some of these factors you know and it's like wow do i really want to invest in a value add for five to and be stuck in it for five to seven years in a market that already seems kind of heated on top of the fact that you know we're like either in or on the verge of the longest economic expansion in this country Mm -hmm. and we're on the tail end of the cycle yep and and if you're going to invest in something you know Five to seven years is a long hold period. I mean, I'm not saying that you can't make money or there can't be good opportunities like that, but I think they're becoming pretty, pretty rare at this point sure. you know, that those opportunities will get you at least 15 to 20% or more. Mm-hmm. Um, not where we are right now in, in the cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also have to think further ahead, like, well, there's a presidential election coming up. Yep. And, the, and you know, and that could totally change things. Yeah. You know, um, we've had a president who's been very pro-business and really pro-real estate. Yep. And that's been very beneficial. Um, that could and, change, right? And that could that could completely change. I mean, yeah. look at some of the people on the, uh, on the Democratic side and some of their policies and look at the things that are being tossed around. Yeah. Universal basic income. Yeah. I mean, that, that everyone needs to have some basic level of income, no matter whether or not you want to work for it or not, or how much energy you want yeah. to put forward. Yeah. And so when you look at these types of policies, these things are not very pro-business. And so these things can hurt the economy. And if that happens, you know, what's going to happen in these investments that you've locked yourself into for five to seven years or more? And whether or not those returns are going to pan out. Right. Once you're in, you're in. There's right. no way that you can get back out. Again, we talked about, you know, the one drawback that I could ever have thought of for real estate is the fact that they're just not liquid items sure you know that there's a lot of illiquidity or very illiquid i should say right so i think the moral careful. moral of the story is be very careful yes if you're going to jump in long term you need to understand the deal you need to do your research uh, we always are going to do a 10-year hold because if you think about it real estate usually goes in 10-year cycles we don't want to do a three or a five or depending on the deal i mean if it's a crazy rehab like we know we're going to add a huge amount of value Three years is great because we can be in and out. Correct. 18 months is fine. But these guys that are selling a, a marginally good value-add deal and they're going to be in it five to seven years, well, we could be at the bottom of a downturn in five years. And they're not going to be able to sell it. And they're probably going to lose it. There's a guy right now, he had three funds of $25 million each. He just lost all of them for his investors because they weren't making money. In the best re- economy we've ever had, he couldn't figure out how to make money, but it was easy for him to raise capital. We've got to get going. So really quick, you're launching a couple things. Tell us about it. Tell us how people can contact you. And um, yeah, anything else you want to say? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, as I've gone down this path, you know, I've uh, become more and more involved in real estate and I've 
come to love it. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's an amazing asset class to be involved in. And uh, as I've been doing that, I run into experiences and, and I've always told my wife and others like, you know, why are they treating the investors like that? Or why are they not being transparent? And why this and why that? And, and then, you know, people are just well, why don't you do it yourself then? If you, if you know how it should be done. And so I've, I've, and I've come to kind of be like, you know what? I, I would love to do that. I would love to kind of help educate and to kind of help other people first understand, you know, about commercial real estate and about syndications because, and it can be daunting, right? Yeah. It's like, I remember when I first did my first syndicated deal and all the paperwork that I had to sign. And I was <laughs> they basically have to, they basically are forced by the SEC to say, you're crazy for signing this, right? I mean, yeah, I mean it's a, when you look at a private place memorandum, it's all about scaring the, you know, out of you, right? Yeah, so it's yeah. like, and, but that's, that's the nature of, of these investments, right? I mean, they're, they're investments. They're not guarantees. Exactly. They're investments. They're not guarantees. They're, they're not, uh, you know, they're exempt from SEC require or, or SEC filings, I should mm -hmm. say. I mean, they're, they're reg D, uh, they're being filed with regulation D, right? Right. I mean, these types of investments, you know, they haven't gone through the registration process, you know, that can be very costly and lengthy. Yep. And so for the most part, you know, most of the people that I've seen, and I, you know, they're, they're doing what needs to be done. And so anyway, um, long story short, you know, I've, I've said, you know what, I would love to be able to help, you know, others learn about investing in commercial real estate and syndicated deals. And so, um, uh, I'm in the process right now of setting up a website, you know, it's cool. actually being constructed right now. Cool. And, uh, so depending on when this interview, uh, you know, eventually is released, uh, hopefully my, my website will be uh, done. Um, I've written an ebook. Oh, cool. Uh, about investing in, or about commercial real estate and about investing specifically in multifamily. Okay. And uh, in the ebook, I emphasize, or I, I, I um, the focus of the ebook is multifamily uh, with a value add strategy. Okay. I mean, there's nice. so many, there's so many different, you know, strategies. Right? right. And I actually cover the strategies in the ebook. So I've written the ebook in a way where someone who either has invested in a number of deals could read it and actually say, hey, wow, I didn't know that, you know? Yeah, so, nice. And at the same time, someone who hasn't invested in a deal before, you know, can read it and, you know, from the very beginning, understand the very basics all the way from, you know, what is commercial real estate? And then at the very end, I bookend it with, you know, how to do due diligence. Nice. So I cover everything in between. So I've spent the last couple of months, in fact, writing, you know, the ebook and- um, uh, What's it and called? Uh, it's actually called, uh, let me see. I actually just came with a title a couple of days ago. So I, I, there were a number of titles I was, I was toying with, but I think the one that I selected was, uh, more doors, more profits. Nice. Uh, the complete guide to investing in multifamily. Awesome. So, I love it. So how do people find it? Yeah. So I have a website that's, uh, hopefully going to go live soon. The name of the Websites can be highrisecapital.com. Okay. So it's uh, high with the uh, with a hyphen in between high and rise. So highrisecapital.com okay. is the website. I would love for people to go there to uh, you know sign up and then uh, be able to download you know a copy of my ebook. Yeah. Um, you know I also plan on uh, sending out a monthly newsletter and additional educational content moving forward. And so therefore you know I can share you know experiences and share you know information with others. I've, as I've gone through this, and I'm sure you have as well too, there have always been people that were 
very helpful. There were people that shared their knowledge. Yep. And I hope to do the same thing for others and to pass that along as well, too. I think this is an amazing opportunity and amazing asset class. You know, we, right. you know, not to belabor it, but, you know, we <laughs> talked about what are most people doing. And although there is more and more capital coming into commercial real estate, mm -hmm. it's still small in comparison yeah. to what the vast majority of people are doing and where yep. they're putting their money. Right. And um, the stock know. market and residential real estate, right? Exactly. And that's exactly. where I was a year ago. I said, I can't sell these assets to my clients anymore. I, I can. I, I have, I'm, I've had to go from here are your options to here are the only options I can find that will make money in residential. Yeah. And, and, and single family homes are not scalable. No, they're I, not. I've, I've done the same. I started out in single family. And, yeah. you know, it, after the first one, I was like, you know, this is not really – this is not scalable. It's like, yeah. even if you hire a property management company, you're still managing a property management company. Yep. And then if you have multiple single family homes, how is that scalable? It's not, you know, it really yeah. isn't. And I, and I learned that pretty quickly and I, and I even remember hearing it at the time, but I, I guess I had to go through that, that learning curve on my own, but luckily I didn't get very far down that process before I realized that no, it's, it's not a scalable endeavor. Um, you know, you can invest in multifamily, you can, consolidate everything all under one roof or one property. Right. You know, and, you know, imagine having 50 single family homes versus owning a single or owning a single 50. Just the apartment. gas and the trips to go maintain all of them is, is almost, I mean, during the downturn, that's where people got into trouble. Yeah. So.